good evening and welcome back to the All In Podcast. Again, my name is Tim Aiken. I have the privilege of being the pastor here at First Baptist Church, Douglasville. And uh, what we're doing today on the podcast is we are really piggybacking off of a sermon series that we have just started on Sunday mornings. We began this sermon series this past Sunday. It's a 10-week series on relationships. And we are talking about how is it that we can follow and pursue God's design for all of the relationships that are in our lives. And you know, relationships are incredibly important. The Bible says that all of us as people, we are all made in the image of God. We're made in His image. We're made in His likeness. And we know the Bible tells us from the very beginning, all throughout the middle, and even at the very end, that our God is what we call a triune God. We believe in one God, one nature, one essence, but that God exists and He reveals Himself to us as three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, who comes to indwell within every single Christian. That means that our God has always existed in a relationship with Himself. That means that our God is a relational God. We know throughout the Bible, our God is a speaking God. Our God is a communal God. Our God has a relationship with Himself, but then God creates us and has relationship with us. And so if our God is a relational God, and if we are made in the image of God, then that means that we are relational people. This is why all people, no matter how much we might want to deny it, all of us are relational beings. We all desire belonging. We all want connection. We all want family. We all want a place to be. We want friendship, and, and we don't like to be lonely. We want people to know our names. All of these things are very, very important to each and every one of us. And so in this series of relationships that we are talking through on Sunday morning, what we're going to do here on the All In Podcast is, like we've been doing all throughout the year, is we're going to supplement, we're going to add, we're going to go deeper here on the All In Podcast on what we've been talking about on Sunday morning. And so for the upcoming weeks, here's some of the things that we're going to talk about on the All In Podcast. One, we're going to talk about what does community within the church look like? What I mean by that is how do we, as Christians, as members of a local church, how do we have healthy relationships with fellow church members? And so one of the things that we're going to talk in detail about is what's called the one another's of the Christian life. This idea of how we are to live with each other. We're to pray for each other, to bear each other's burdens, to be hospitable, to be loving. We're going to talk through that in detail. Second, we're going to talk about friendship. What does it look like to have healthy friendships? How do I choose good friends? How do I encourage and influence my friends and not be negatively influenced by them? What kind of friends should I look for? How can I be a good friend? What does it mean to be loyal and to be honoring to those that are my friends? And here's the deal. So often we think that friendship is important for children, for teenagers, and young adults. The truth is friendship is important for all of us, no matter how old or how young we might be. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about marriage. How is it that I can have a healthy marriage? How can my marriage relationship not merely survive, but how can it thrive? How do I follow? How do I pursue God's design for marriage? What is God's biblical design for marriage? What are the marriage roles? What's the role of the husband and the father 
in the marriage? What's the role of the wife and the mother in the marriage? How has God designed it for us to be better together? We're going to talk about on Mother's Day and then the following week. What does it look like to be a godly woman and a godly mother according to the Bible? And then on Father's Day and the Wednesday following that, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a godly father and a godly husband. And we're going to talk a lot about marriage. And then we'll end it by talking about the family. What does a healthy family look like? How can I have healthy family relationships? How can I have a healthy relationship as a parent to my children or as a grandparent to my grandchildren? How can I have a healthy relationship as a child to my parents? And how can I have healthy relationships with my brothers and my sisters? And what does all of that dynamic look like? How does parenting and grandparenting play into that? The role of discipline, the role of instruction. And so it's going to be an incredible series because relationships is vital to all of us. Relationships is where we live our life every single day. And so we're going to be embarking on this in the All In podcast, also on Sunday mornings here at First Baptist Douglasville for the next about 10 weeks or so. And here's the goal of the entire series, both on Sunday mornings and here on the All In podcast. It's simply this. We want to go all in with God's design for relationships. Again, this year, our theme is all in, going all in with Jesus, all in with his church, and all in with his mission. We've talked about what it looks like to go all in financially. We've talked about what does it look like to go all in theologically. Now we're going to talk about what does it look like to go all in relationally. And this past Sunday, we began this series by talking about the fact that Christ-centered love is to be at the center of all of our relationships. If we want healthy, God-honoring, Christ-centered relationships, then love must be at the center of every single relationship and a love that we see embodied through the cross of Jesus Christ. If you want to know, How do I love others in the church? How do I love my friends? How do I love my spouse? How do I love my children? How do I love my parents? How do I love my siblings? How do I love my neighbors? How do I love my coworker? Simply look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Love must be at the center. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight on the podcast. And I want to get this started by looking at a very significant passage of Scripture found in the New Testament. You can get your Bible out, you can turn your Bible on, you can simply listen, however you want to do that. But go to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read verses 34 through 40. And here is the context. You have Jesus Christ. He's embarked on His uh, earthly ministry. He's doing amazing things. He's healing people. He's revealing the kingdom of God. He is teaching people and he is drawing all kinds of attraction around him. But there's a group of people that Jesus was constantly at odds with. In fact, this is interesting that in the Bible, the group that was Jesus' greatest rival, it wasn't the irreligious. It wasn't those that were deemed as the greatest of sinners. It wasn't those that were broken down by poor decisions and poor choices. No, the greatest of all of his earthly enemies was the religious. It was the self-righteous. It was those people that thought they were better than others because of their morality, because of their ethics. It was those people that thought they could be made right with God by following the law and 
following all the rules. And this group is typically in the Bible called the Pharisees. And so Jesus is going to be encountered by uh, the Pharisees, specifically a guy called a lawyer. And he's going to be asked a question. And Jesus is going to respond and answer that question. And we're going to talk about that this evening. So here, Matthew 22 Beginning in verse 34, we're going to read down to verse 40. The Bible says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he, that is Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, just pause for a minute. When it says lawyer, don't think of the judicial courts. Okay, instead, when it says lawyer, think this guy was an expert in the Old Testament Law. He probably, very likely, had much, if not all, of the Old Testament memorized. He knew all the laws. He knew what it required. He did it backwards and forwards. He would have been like the Michael Jordan, all right, of the law. So he comes up to Jesus. Look there in verse 35 and asked him a question to test him. Teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, and this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is incredible Passage of Scripture is incredibly important. It's very powerful. Now, I want to talk tonight again about love. And I want to talk about how love is to be at the center of all of our relationships. Now, here's how we defined love this past Sunday during our Sunday morning sermon, our Sunday morning Bible studies, we often call it. Here's how I would define real, biblical, Christ-centered love. It is simply this seeking the best for others, even at great cost to one's self. Love is seeking the best for others, even at great cost to oneself. Now, this means several things. Number one, it means that love is a choice. It's not an emotion. So often we'll hear people say, especially when it comes to romantic love or marital love, they'll say, well, we just fell out of love. Or they'll say things like this, you can't help who you love. And both of those statements are completely ludicrous according to the Bible. Let me ask you a question. Are your children, are your grandchildren always so lovely? Are they always so lovable? The answer is a resounding no. But as parents, as grandparents, do we choose to love our children and grandchildren anyways? Absolutely. We choose to love them. See, love is a choice. It is not an emotion. And so even when you don't emotionally, naturally love that person, you don't feel that romantic pull towards them, you choose to love them, right? Because Christ chose to love us. Also, it means that love is active. Love is not passive. You cannot passively love somebody. You love people not by simply telling you them that you love them. You love people by showing them that you love them. In fact, I've often heard it said this way, that love could oftentimes be spelled T-I-M-E. 
E, meaning you spend time with the people that you love. Why? Because love is active. Third, this also means that love is others focused. It's not me focused. Real love is not about loving myself. Real love is not self-centered. Real love is not selfish. Real love is about other people. It's about demonstrating and pouring on them the love that I want them to receive. And then finally, love is sacrificial. It is not self-serving. Real love goes out of its way. Real love is willing to be hurt. Real love is willing to be harmed. Real love is willing to give up certain things to love other people. So love is seeking the best for others, even at great cost to one's self. And what we see here in these verses that we just read, Jesus is teaching us that there's really two kinds of love that every Christian, everyone that says they are a follower of Jesus Christ, there's two kinds of love that we must have in our life. And one love leads to the other love. Essentially, Jesus says this. He says, look, if we truly love God, then we are going to truly love others. And so here's the two kinds of love. The first is what I would call a vertical love. This is the love that must come first. In fact, Jesus says this is the greatest commandment. And this vertical love is simply a love for God. We're to love God vertically. We're to love Him first. And Jesus says... If you love vertically correctly, if you love God rightly, if you truly love Him first, then that's going to lead to the second love, a horizontal love. The horizontal love is simply love for others. If I love God, truly love Him, then I'm going to horizontally love the other people in my life as well. And so let's talk first about this love for God. Now, this essentially, when He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your Mind, essentially what Jesus is doing is he's taking the Ten Commandments, but he's taking the first four of the Ten Commandments and he's summarizing them in one command. The command to love God above everything else, he's essentially summarizing the first four of the Ten Commandments that are given to us in the Old Testament. In fact, commandment number one of the Ten Commandments, it clearly states, you shall have no other gods before me. This is the greatest commandment. Also, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, Moses, the prophet of God, he's speaking to the people of Israel. And he's instructing them on how they should live their lives. And he says to them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he tells them that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your Strength. In fact, this was so significant that faithful Jews would have repeated this verse from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, twice a day to remind them this is the greatest commandment, to remind them this is to be my first love. This command communicates the idea of complete and total devotion and allegiance to God. It involves the whole person. Jesus is not saying that we're all of these separate parts, right? That we're a mind, that we're a soul, that we're a spirit, that we're strength, and that we're a heart. He's using all of these different parts of the human body to communicate, you shall love God with everything that you have, with your entire person. See, God is not 
to be in your top ten. God's not to be in your top five. God's not even to be the runner up. He says God is to be number one. Now, if we are thinking critically and we're asking good questions, then the question is arise, okay, why should God be number one? Why should I love God above everything else? Is it just because that's what I've always been taught? Is it just because that's the churchy answer? Is it just because that's what the Bible says? Is it because that's what my preacher says? That's what my parents told me? I want you to really ask the question, why should I love God above all? And don't answer because well, that's just what I've always been taught. No, think about it. Why is God deserving of my love? Why is God able to demand my love. And here's the deal. It is not up for debate. It is clear. He is deserving and he's able to demand it for several reasons. Number one, because he is the creator. Hey, he made you. He created you. He formed you. He knows you. He designed you. He has authority over you. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't be in this world. It's kind of like when a parent jokes and says, well, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Well, actually, God can. He brought you into the world. And whenever he so desires, you will leave this world. And so you should love God because he made you. He has authority over you. He created you. Second reason you should love God is because he is sustainer. Or you could say he is sovereign. Not only did he create us, he sustains us. He is sovereign over our lives. He knows when you're happy. He knows when you're sad. He knows when you are strong. He knows when you are weak. He knows when you are whole. He knows when you are broken. He knows when you are struggling. And He sustains you. He sovereignly guides your life. God is never caught off guard. God is never distracted. God is never not involved in your life. Sometimes we feel like maybe God has detached Himself or He's abandoned us or He's left us. But a correct theology will never allow you to believe that. God is always involved in your life because He is the sustainer. Third, you should love God because He is provider. He's the one giving you the breath in your lungs to breathe right now. He's the one giving you the food that you need to eat. He's the one providing the money in your bank account. He's the one giving you the job. He's the one giving you the relationships in your life. He's the one giving us the sun, the moon, the stars. He's the one giving breath for you to live. He is providing for all of your needs. The Bible says He's the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the provider. Fourth, we should love God because He is protector. In fact, He is the one that is protecting us from the enemy. He's the one that is protecting us from sin. He is the one through His Son, Jesus Christ, that is protecting us from death and from separation. And then fifth and finally, you're to love God because He is Savior. God and God alone is the one that provided the way for you and I to be forgiven of our sins. God and God alone is the one that provided the way for you and I to be forgiven of our sins so that we could be made right with Him. And He provided that way by sending His one his only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on the cross for our sins, to be buried, to rise from the dead so that whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You love God because He saved you and provided the way of your salvation. See, when you come to truly and fully understand through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, 
all that God has done for you through Jesus Christ, you will not be able to do anything else but love Him. I use this illustration all of the time, but it's so true. There's a reason why I so deeply love my mom and dad and would do anything for my mom and dad at a moment's notice and why I plan to care for my mom and dad to the very end of their life because of how much they have loved me. I cannot help but to love them in return. But my mom and dad did not save me from my sins. God did. How much more should I love God because of what he's done for me? When you truly understand what God's done for you, you cannot help but love him. So it kind of leads to a second question. Well, then how should I love God? How do we love him rightly? A couple quick things this evening. Number one, we glorify him. That means that everything that we do, the Bible says whether you eat, whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. That means everything that you do in your life. And that word everything means everything. And all of your relationships and all of your decisions, the things that you look at, the things that you think about, the way you drive your car, the way you spend your money, the way you parent, the way you love your spouse, the emails that you don't send, the relationships you don't invest in, everything you do is to bring honor and glory to God. You are telling the world a true story about your relationship with Him. You glorify Him. Another way that you love God is you obey Him. When God convicts you of sin, when God tells you to go and fix that broken relationship or to go ask somebody's forgiveness or to forgive somebody, to let go of bitterness or to go on that mission trip or to go and share the gospel or to give your money away or to, 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 to reject that temptation, you obey Him. Again, how do we know that our child loves us? They obey us. They respect us. We obey Him. The third way that you love God is you serve Him. You serve Him with your whole heart. One of the ways that you serve God is you serve His bride. You serve the church. You get your hands dirty with ministry. You serve God by loving your family well, by caring for your children, your grandchildren well. You serve God by sharing the good news of the gospel with others. You serve God by loving your community. Fourth, another way that we love God is we just praise Him. We give Him all of the praise. We give Him all of the honor. We Thank Him for His goodness in our life. We sing praises through song of who God is and what God has done in our life. And then finally, we love God by proclaiming Him. See, we talk a lot about the things that we love. I talk a lot about my wife, who I so dearly love. I talk about my children, who I so dearly love. We talk about the things that we love. If we truly love God, we are going to proclaim Him. And we're going to proclaim specifically how others can come to experience the life-changing love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so first, it's a vertical love. We love God. Secondly, we are to have a love for others. This is the horizontal love. Now what Jesus has done is He's essentially taking the last six Ten Commandments, the last six of the Ten Commandments, and He's summarizing them with one command, that we are to love God. And He makes it clear, if we love God, we're going to love others. We, again, saw this very clearly this past Sunday as we looked at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And again, the main idea that we discussed this past Sunday is that we love others because Jesus first loved us. In fact, like the command to love God, this command to love others also is stated in the Old Testament, in the Leviticus. Chapter 19, verse 18, it says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as 
yourself, because I am the Lord. See, this is foundational to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that we love others. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James in the New Testament, James is going to call this not the golden rule. He's going to call it the royal law. He's saying, listen, it is the expectation that those who love God are, in, are, are going to in turn love God. Others And notice what it says here in Leviticus 19, verse 18. One of the ways that we love others is he says, you shall not take vengeance. So one of the ways that you love other people is you don't try to get revenge. It's not an eye for an eye. It's not a tooth for a tooth. You may say, well, but Pastor Tim, what do I do when they've been so harsh to me? You leave vengeance up to the Lord. In fact, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord, think about it. God did not take vengeance out on you. What did God do? He put his vengeance, he put his wrath on his own son to forgive you. If God did not take vengeance out on you, but he put his vengeance out on Jesus, you should not take vengeance out on other people. You love others by not getting revenge, by not seeking to get back at them, but you Show them forgiveness. You show them mercy. He then also says, or bear a grudge. That also means you love others by not harboring resentment and harboring bitterness towards them. Where you can't get over it. You can't let it go. And you remind them and you hold it over their head and you make them pay back a debt. That's not love. God did not make you and I do all sorts of things in order to be made right with Him. All we have to do is admit that we need His forgiveness and put our faith in Jesus, and that's it. He doesn't hold a debt. He doesn't bear a grudge. He is not resentful. He is not unforgiving. He is not unrelenting. And therefore, if we truly understand what God has done for us, we are going to forgive. We are going to show mercy. We are going to make things right. These are ways that we love others. I'll end with this discussion this evening with this. There's another passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is asked a similar question. He responds with the exact same kind of a way, but then there's a man there who's a religious guy and he wants to justify himself. And so when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, he says, well, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. He says there was a man traveling down from Jerusalem. He's traveling down the Jer Jericho Road. And as he was traveling down, some robbers came out and they beat the daylights out of this guy. They left him for dead. And as they left him for dead, two religious guys came walking down that same road. The first religious guy sees him, passes by on the other side, doesn't help him. Second religious guy comes down, sees him, passes by on the other side, doesn't help him. And Jesus says, oh, and by the way, this guy was a Jew. So then a third guy shows up. And the third guy that shows up is a Samaritan. A Samaritan was a mix between a Gentile and a Jew. They hated each other. But this Samaritan has compassion for this guy. He has mercy for this guy. So the Samaritan gets off his horse. He gets down and he begins to heal the guy. He, he bandages up his wounds. He picks the guy up. He puts the guy on his own animal. Not worried about the robbers coming out to get him. Not worried about the robbers beating him up. Not worried about what may happen to him. He then takes the guy into town. He takes him to an inn. He gets the guy the medical care that he needs. He stays with the guy the whole night. He then wakes up the next morning. Apparently, this guy's in such bad shape, the guy's going to need to stay there for several days to fully recover. And so he says, look, I've got business to attend to. I've got to leave. But will you please keep this man here? And when I come back, I promise you, I will pay the full tab of his bill. 
And Jesus says, that man loved his neighbor. Our neighbor is not just the person that lives right next door on your street or in your apartment complex. Your neighbor is everybody. Your neighbor is anybody that you encounter. And here's the true power of this story. The good Samaritan is actually Jesus. And Jesus found you. Jesus found me beaten, broken, wounded on our backs, left for dead. But so many others walked by us and didn't help us. Jesus got down, and the Bible says that Jesus bound your wounds. How? By wounding himself in your place and in my place. You are Jesus' neighbor, and he loved you all of the way. So when you understand how much Jesus has loved you, you cannot help in return love others the same way. As we embark on this relationship series, may we remember, in order to have God-honoring, Christ-centered relationships, love that is seen through the cross of Jesus, must be at the center.